This is the Championship Club Podcast, the show that shines a light on English rugby's second flight. Join us every fortnight and check us out on the socials at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Well, gents, what a week we are here on the Championship Clubs Podcast and it's an impromptu recording in light of what has been probably one of the, the, the biggest news stories surrounding the league in, in recent history. And I mean, it, it's kind of sad that it's a negative one, but we are here recorded in reaction to the news that broke yesterday that both Ealing Trailfinders and Doncaster Knights bid to join the Premiership should either side win the league this season um, have been rejected. Um, it's uh, Dum Dum and Dummerer. You can decide who the three of those are. It's Michael Casey, Gareth Allred and Ben Gulliver on the Championship Club's pod. Gents, uh, it's good to have you here and I'm kind of looking forward to getting our teeth sunk into this one and... Uh, We'll try. Well, you know, we'll try not to uh, to get too down about it, I guess, and just maybe try and get through some of the discussion points that are obviously doing the rounds on, on Twitter at the moment. Yeah, hey, Mike. Yeah, it's um, it's been a, it's been a bit crazy, hasn't it? Um, obviously, the news coming out that Doncaster and Ealing can't can't get into the Premiership, and then the reaction from Twitter. I don't I don't think I've seen this amount of engagement for a Championship story. For a, for a long time, if ever, in the world of social media, and it's, and I think it's rightly so. It's you know, looking at if I was a player at Doncaster or Ealing, and I've signed there, and I've got aspirations to win a league and have the opportunity to get promoted. For it to be announced this week that you can't, with three games to go, and let's be honest, the time is fucking brutal and shite. It's just I just don't get it. It's just, it's I, again they did it. Was it? Just after lockdown, when they just dropped the uh, the cuts on all the clubs a week before they they they, they came out, and it's it just seems that there's no thought process, there's no sort of I don't know how to word it, there's no sh- strategy towards the championship, um, and they just make a call and away they go, and you know pick up the pieces everyone else and fucking crack on. But it's just I just feel for the players, the supporters, and. You know, everyone that's involved with Champ Rugby, um, I just feel a bit a bit gutted from all and a bit angrier, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I kind of won't add too much more. Probably add a bit of balance at times because it's not uh, it's not a completely shock of timing. Um, this was when the, the results come out. Equally, it's not the first time that they um, they put the timing in amongst the Six Nations where hopefully the press don't pick it up and it gets swept under the carpet, which is a little bit naughty. And that's the timing that we found out about the funding cuts. That said, I'm sure we'll move into it, Mike, but, you know, we've got to discuss about the process of how we got here. You know, these audits didn't happen five minutes ago. Um, we were asked to submit, you know, even Bethel Blues were asked to submit their submissions back in November. At that point, we've spoke about it, Mike. You were still at Donny, and uh, I think we just we just got the better of Donny at home. You'd lost to Coventry and probably didn't necessarily think that Donny would be at the top of the table right now. So... Maybe clubs weren't in the position to um, necessarily fulfil that audit audit at the time. So I'll add a bit of colour, obviously, I echo kind of what both you said. And I want to kind of make the point now, I'm speaking as someone obviously that worked for Doncaster Knights for nine years, but not with any sort of real inside knowledge. It was very public that Doncaster and Ealing were the only two that had submitted bids to <coughs> go up this season should they win the league. Doncaster, as you say, the, the, the timing of this bid is, is in November <clears> that <throat> teams have to, to make this call. And yeah, as I say... 
Knights had got thumped at Coventry, beaten well down at Bedford, but they made the decision in back in November that should they go up, they would like to have the opportunity. The criteria that both sides have fallen down on is the lack of a 10,000-seater venue. Now, like, there's been a lot of outrage on, on Twitter, and I think rightly so, and I'll get onto it in a little bit, um, in a little bit, but it is kind of important to understand that this criteria hasn't changed. It is something that both sides knew. But you've got to also understand that in November, if you're not top of the league, the amount of bandwidth that is required within an organisation to put together a bid suitable to house Premiership Rugby, it's significant. <clears throat> Doncaster Knights aren't operating a staff of tens and hundreds of people to do this. You know, planning permission is not a easy, quick process or inexpensive process to go through. So I think my umbrage and the disgust that I've seen on Twitter, I kind of feel myself is that these minimum standard criteria, in my own opinion, are just self-serving for those at the top of the game. The RFU and to a lesser extent PRL should look to support clubs with ambition within these applications. And should they get to a point where they're possibly going to achieve promotion, Donny currently top of the league, Elin in um, you know, potentially could go ahead on points difference, got games in hand. And of course, the other side, we haven't talked about Cornish Pirates who did not submit a, a bid. That You know, it's anyone's title at the moment in time. There should be conversations at this point that say, OK, we've seen your bids. There are plans, and I'm not, I'm not saying secrets here, there's plans to expand both grounds incrementally, sensibly, in a, under, a, a viable financial and sort of incremental growth stage. That should be something that's supported through promotion not used as a stick to beat them and keep them out of the league. And that's where I think a lot of people maybe who didn't know about the, 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 the rulings and the 10,000 seats have kind of maybe a little bit misinformed. But equally, it's, it's just a sham. And I, I think that the criteria is faulty at its floor. And whilst the clubs knew what was required of them before they put it in, the, 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 there's a fundamental problem with the criteria. We, we've seen countless examples. Doncaster Knights have hosted... Six Nations games for the women's and sold out five, delivered these games fantastically well. You've got five out of the 13 premiership sides failing to get 10,000 gates, but yet that's a criteria to get in. The inequality and the inconsistency throughout these criteria is just mind-boggling. And I'm, I'm glad that there has been a reaction on Twitter. I'm glad that people are pissed off about it because it, it, it's something that people need to get pissed off about. You've got 13 clubs at the top of a sport that is for a full country, just taking it away from it. And it's not theirs to take. And it is just, I'm going to be quiet for a moment now and let other people speak, but it, it's just, it, I'm glad everyone's upset on Twitter because it's been upsetting. <laughs> uh, look, I, I think a few, few things pull out in balance that I think, look, there was a great speech, Mike, and it was accurate and everybody feels that way. The difficulty is that we're playing here against what people want and expect as opposed to what those minimum standards are. The fact is those minimum standards have been in place for the last, you know, 15 years um, and therefore the cartel have made them and we can't jump in. And therefore, why haven't you met them? You know, at Doncaster in my years there, we actually did meet them. We finished eighth. We were going to move to a different ground whilst developing the ground in your time, 2016. I think you mentioned very similar scenario, even gaining planning um, to, to put in those temporary seating. So we know we know that it's possible. So for whatever reason, that hasn't happened. The, the second part that you mentioned is international games. Look, that's brilliant. They want to grow the game in terms of the international game in Yorkshire. The flip side to that is how many Doncaster games have you sold out? And, and that, that's the argument. It's not the argument of the minimum standards. It's not the argument of fans. But 
there is a worry here about another London Welsh. And there is the financial mismanagement of clubs like that that will worry the top table. Will it add value? We certainly know Yorkshire as a county can add value to the game. That part, I don't think anybody's worried about. In fact, I think a lot of PRL clubs would be delighted to have a club representing the White Rose in the area. In fact, there's an academy missing at the moment that needs a bit of support and ownership. So I think that's the balance. The, the, the part that I wholeheartedly agree with you is actually to grow the game, then you can't have this complete ring fencing because that's what it is. And, the, you know, the... For me, what some of the championship clubs could do, and we're not talking about the actual issue here, and that's funding. Why didn't every championship club said, I'll tell you what, no, I don't want to go up because this is lunacy that we go up and receive no funding, currently receiving 159,000 as opposed to the millions at the top table, and yet you're expecting us to compete at that table. That is the issue fundamentally. And then and for anybody to say, well, you need to make sure a championship club is able to compete at the premiership, how can it? It just simply can't. Now, the hearts and minds piece, Gully, as a player is, you know, that's the dream, isn't it? You, you want to be at that. T- and you've seen even the likes of Joe Marler. You've seen a load of former players in the champ. You've seen a lot of current players. I mean, those Doncaster players right now seem devastated by it. So, you know, Gully, just give us that kind of view a little bit and, and just talk to us a little bit about maybe how they feel. And, and I guess the obstacle that not being able to even get to the Premiership may represent Sort of looking back at my my experience of getting close to promotion with pirates and or in a championship race, shall I say, maybe not promotion because it, again the, the criteria would have been in place the years when I played in in champ finals. So it was all. I think as a player, you because of the, the nature of the league, you kind of know, and this is the sad part about the league and the sad part about a play. You know, it's coming, and. And it's you still don't believe it until it does come. So, because we're all dreamers, right? As rugby players, you, you all want to get to the top, and you know you want to do it with the club in the championship and go on that that run and get promoted, and then make a fist of it and and do a Chiefs, for example, or or Worcester even when they did it. I know they've yo-yoed a bit, but you know f- f- I think for the players, I feel for it for everyone involved with the clubs. But it didn't surprise me, but the time and shocked me, and I just also. It's, it's a real, real tough one because I, I don't know the answer. Um, and, you know, you see a lot of great reaction and anger within players, and it's rightly so, as you said. But for me now, outside of the game, looking at how do we change this? How, how does how does the championship become the asset that everybody knows it is apart from one unit, apart from the union, it seems, and PRL? And how how does that how does that change? And and that's where I'm sort of at with it at the moment. It's like, what what can we do to support the championship as opposed to everyone getting angry that a board decision has been made against it again. And it's, and it's the frustrating and will we be sat here in five years, six years, seven years time talking about a league that is a completely amateur league. And then we're affecting the player pathway, the likes of the guys that have just been called into the England squads, you know, it affects the whole game. It affects the England national team. And that's one of the Bill Sweeney's big drivers. I believe it's like, it's all about the national team. Right, well, great, that's great. But without the championship, the guys won't get experience and they'll get experience at a lower level because of the standard of the championship will just deteriorate because of the funding and the semi-professional stroke amateur league that it'll become. And I just, I, I just, wor- I'm, I'm really worried about the league, mate. I'm genuinely worried. I'm, I'd like some answers, but I don't know where they're coming from. 
I, I think the point you made is com- completely right. And you, but you said the thing is, you say that how, how do we change? I think there needs to be a willingness from all parties, and, and that's that's where we've got the discourse at the moment. Obviously, championship clubs we love better funding. We want the the sort of the, the the fairness of a meritocracy system with a promotion and relegation, but it doesn't feel at this moment in time like that is a two way street. And with, with if if all that momentum is going one way, and you can't. It's been, championship has been beaten with a stick of you know, a lack of sustainability of not having consistently high crowds for for a long time. I mean, you can you can you can turn the sort of the magnifying glass inwardly and say that a lot of Premiership clubs aren't aren't sustainable. But I think what the, the what the league is battling against at the moment is a lack of willingness from from those who make the decisions to change it. And it's you know we sit here on this podcast. How can we do? It? We we can shout about the amount of players that go into from from Prem to Champ. We can shout about yet another. England call-up that's gone through, you know, Will Goodrick Clark that spent an extended amount of time playing in the champ with Richmond. Um, but, you know, un- until there's a willingness from someone or from a body that that, that holds the keys to the castle, that, that we're, I feel like we're swimming upstream. I wonder if there's still a twist in the tail, to be honest. Whilst this feels like the final nail in the coffin at present, I wonder if these appeals, because Doncaster have now come out saying they're going to appeal, we know that Tony de Molder and Steve Lloyd as the owners of Doncaster and Mike Gooley at Olin and Elin have not been short on their thoughts on this and wanting to go up. They also both have the individual uh, clout to be able to get this this through and, and be able to challenge um, the RFU on this. We've also seen London Welsh, not the greatest example, but actually they won their legal case. They actually didn't, I believe, after they beat us, Bedford Blues in the semi-final, only then did they arrange their alternative venue of the Kassam in, in Oxford and only then did they gain uh, permission to, to be promoted so you know there's still there's still a twist or two um, I hope that players don't start to feel dismayed and I, I've seen some of the comments and you know right okay well I'm not sure if we'll still play for this and this uh, you know players motivated by winning I actually feel for the Pirates guys because I think they're looking forward to turning turning both Doncaster and Ealing over and um, and saying don't worry stay about in the champ. Gully? If they win their legal battle and they can go to a different ground, what's the fucking point? You know, these these grounds, you know, Ealing no, have built a hell of a facility. I, 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 or is yeah, that I feel that really, I think I think to answer you really quickly is that I think they'll move away, but with the plan of coming back, i.e. whilst they put the whatever in place to happen, because at Doncaster and oh, well, at Ealing... I can speak to 2016. The Knights had an agreement that for a short period of time they would play at Doncaster Rovers Keepmoat Stadium whilst there was um, builds made to Castle Park to hit the um, to, to hit the 10k uh, seating requirement. So, again, I'm not saying this is something that I knew that was going on when I was there, but I'm assuming that upon repeal, they would submit a similar bid that would see... I would assume sort of builds made to Castle Park to satisfy the criteria and in the interim, maybe play some games down the road. And again, I want to have this on record as saying that's not fact. This is me guessing yeah. on what had been done previously. I mean, uh, the frustrating thing for that is, Mike, that they should have done that this time. Yeah, but you and, 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 and we can call it what you want and then go for the appeal. But we knew the process and that'll be the challenge. You talk, you, talk, you talk about a sustainable model and sort of, you know, operating within your means and you know that like get seeking planning permission and like and things like this for like mass builds and like not even just like labor time but actual expense is significant we talk about for, like how clubs need to be shrewder with the finances and then personnel yeah you know you're eighth in the league in october and then go 
piss tens, maybe more thousands up the wall to um to, to put a bit like it, it's got to be prudent on your circumstance. Doncaster Knights, Doncaster Knights overachieved unbelievably this season. You know, like they had a cracking year last year to back it up this season and be in the mix of potentially win the league this year is a fantastic achievement to Steve Burden and the, and the squad down there at Castle Park. But you know, it, it's not it wasn't prudent in October to to spend vast resource in personnel and finance to put a promotion bid. But this is where the the, the criteria is flawed. Like we can say, oh, it is, and it's what it's always been. And yeah, yeah, the criteria, the criteria is flawed. It doesn't it doesn't set that aside though, Mike. You know, you, so you, you know you've just said as well, 2016 they had it ready. It, it's not a it's not you know we're not talking about a huge you know the infrastructure. What worries me these boys can bankroll it. My, my bigger worry is that they don't allow a club to go up. They don't fund it. They don't allow any growth. You have to move to Doncaster Rovers, keep Mo or Ealing to Quinns um, or, or whatever the situation is. I don't know. They're going there. I'm just purely suggesting then them coming straight back down or disappearing from the whole ladder of English rugby is a real concern. Now we believe the business plans and business models are in place. I think Doncaster are saying they've, they've passed that. That is fantastic. And to grow the game, we go back to your first point, which is the RFU should be supporting these clubs to do that. A hundred percent. We're all agreed on that. I, th I think it again, and I feel I'm a broken record here, but we're not fixing the issue about the complete problem with the English pyramid, that it is already ring-fenced. And that we, unless we tackle that, then actually the only way is either going to be really rich people back in the game um, or actually changing the model to find a sustainable function for growth. Which I think just harks back to sort of Gully's point earlier, which is like, you know, what do, and I, what do we do to fix it? What can be done to change? And I said, I think the need, the, there isn't the willingness to change at the moment. Without, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a doomsday merchant, but w without the willingness from people making these decisions and from people that are holding the keys... How does that change get affected? I know it's um, it's a completely different model, and this is maybe my naivety, but people are suggesting a similar model to the French model. Now, we know that runs differently, and I, I know Gav, you're smiling because. Well, if you owned, if you owned, right, if you owned a full of all of your house, right, would you let would you let Mike and me come in and and, and live there? Well, actually, you, Mike, because you're a very friendly bloke, and that's a poor analogy, but. The point is they own it's their shop it's their toy it's their ball yeah. and and that's where we allowed that to happen way back when when it was premiership was set up and it's very difficult they would argue they've invested in it now yeah. i'm not arguing for them i'm not for arguing for anybody i obviously believe in the champion more than anyone i spent most of my career in it but i can see where some of the challenges come from and, and london welsh has scarred them you know it, it it definitely has the what i would like to see actually if you talk about gully's question how does it change right cvc when when kind of private investment comes in and they want to grow the game let's not forget they want to return on their investment the only way to do that is to make the game bigger Okay, you can look at the global game and taking it away, investing in different areas, which certainly people are, and it's really exciting. And let's hope the American project works out. Let's hope Europe gets better. Obviously, Brett Gosp has talked about that. You know, he's obviously left uh, World Rugby now, but he was talking about the year-long season, the year-round season, shall we say. We've got World 12s being developed. We've got but all things going on in the game. It's really exciting. You know, it's, 
people will say there's a lot of things missing in the game at the moment or there's problems, lots of people having different conversations. But it's great. It's better to have the balls in the air than no balls at all. The problem is, how do we gain, or CBC, people are, how do they gain that growth? And that has got to be by allowing a pyramid for, I'm going to use growth about 4,000 times in the same sentence. But it's got to be, you know, and I do wonder if this was just Doncaster. It's terrible for me to say, but I do wonder if Elin weren't in this conversation, whether they'd be going, oh, oh, God, we do want a club from Yorkshire coming in. And that's not what it should be about. I, I agree. And obviously, I say this is a dyed in the wool, one eyed, completely biased towards the night. So, the, the most important thing, I think, for promotion and relegation is, is meritocracy. And only the side that wins the league through competition means should go up. Um, as a Yorkshireman and a, a, a big rugby fan, I'd, I'd love to see a Yorkshire Premiership side. I'd love it to be Doncaster. But no, I think um, yeah. when we start sort of allocating places on, the, on, on where your stadium is, then, then we've got a whole other mess. I think um, I've had my brother-in-law around tonight and he's a football fan. Um, explaining it to someone that's not in the game uh, and a football supporter supports Leeds and watching their journey and he's like, I'm trying to sort of get across what's actually happening. That's a problem in itself <laughs> because it's, you know, the game isn't the biggest sport in the country, is it? It's, you know, and it's like, it's just... It's just something that's so negative that shouldn't be. It should be so. It should be such a positive thing, and it should be right. We're supporting these journeys and these clubs and this ambition of clubs to to go into the Premiership and be a success, or go into the Premiership and fail, but be okay if they fail and come back down and not go out of business. Those sorts of things. It's. I think is a, the sad thing is like that the, the delivery. Like going back to your point at the top of the, of the podcast, yeah, we were talking about only on this show a, a, a week or two ago. Like what a fantastic title race it was, and like I, I think as someone that follows you very closely, you know, you were seeing there's a lot going on. There's four teams. It was all, all quite interesting, and then mixed opinion. But I think in general, this Prem Champ Cup suggestion had been received positively, and it was interesting. Gareth smiling again, but. <laughs> Then we get slapped with this, and it's just yeah, it's it's just a little bit, little bit soul destroying, isn't it? But I mean, we've got you know, what did we plan, guys? We're planning first of all, we'll talk about the strategic review, which obviously wasn't going to come out, but did. I mean, somebody has quite clearly broke the embargo and sent it straight to the Telegraph um, because it was pretty much word for word the report. Then we talked about cop. No, we need to focus on the the title challenge because this is now getting really excited after the weekend. And now we've been blown open by this again. I mean, I think, you know, we, you've just got to look at some of the comments. I mean, from players, just scrolling through again now, you know, Joe Parler stuck in the dark ages still. Apparently they would rather not grow the game. I mean, you know, that is, in a nutshell, the worry. But then, and we don't like to always promote other podcasts, but Egg Chase's podcast, minimum stadium capacity for Premier League club to be able to play global billions pounds clubs like Man United, City and Liverpool, 5,000. 5,000 you've got to get in for that ground, which everyone more or less meets. Certainly, Donny, I think Elin just, um, even Bedford Blues made that. Uh, minimum standards for Premiership Rugby Club to be able to play in front of around 5,000 people at Sale, Newcastle and Worcester, 10,000. Yeah. This doesn't make sense. This is, you know, this is something to protect the establishment. And it it is a worry. And we all, agree, you know, look at, you look at the facilities at Bath, which, by the way, I think is one of the, it's been interesting, a few people suggesting it's not not the greatest atmosphere. Well, OK, maybe they're having a tough year. I think it's one of the best grounds there is. It's a proper rugby ground. Um, 
full of history, full of heritage and one of the easiest places to get a pint um, because there's bars everywhere in town. But yet, you know, that is temporary seating on a ground not owned completely by the club. So it is disproportionate. It is frustrating. I think that gives great grounds for appeal. I just hope that if an appeal is sought and if it's won and if they win the leagues, let's not forget, I think in some ways Pirates are in the driving seat in terms of games in hand, they would be top if they win them both. But if one of those clubs go up, I just hope it isn't the death of them. And I I hope that, that people support them to, to develop because it would be great to see a championship club punching above its weight and, and not necessarily staying up even, but enjoying their moment in the spotlight and developing as a club and finding the right facilities for their future generations. Because Doncaster Castle Park is already a great facility. Trail finders have done an incredible job of developing that site because, you know, that's unrecognisable almost five years ago to now. But it'd be great to see the light for other clubs as well. And somebody say, do you know what? I'm going to take a chance with Bedford, Coventry, Richmond, Rotherham, whoever it is. Um, maybe there'll be two Yorkshire sides in the in the Premiership one day again. But it's at the moment, it's, it's very hard to see where that comes from. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I want to sort of like finish and round off on some sort of positive light for it. And I, I, but I, I mean, I guess it is this appeals process and we've got hope that these are successful and, you know, there'll be a press release coming out from the RFU in, in the next coming, in, in the coming weeks should, you know, assuming pirates don't completely, I say upset the apple cart, like you say, they're in the driving seat at the moment. Um, but, you know, if a bid that does suit the criteria goes through that the, you know, the RFU are, able to say the appeals process has been successful and as you say that the, if, if one of those clubs do go up that they get a fair crack at the whip um they will of course get a two-year time in the, in the championship because we know there's no there's no relegation next year so i guess if there was a time for a side to make it now is that now is yeah 100 percent right mike i mean look they'll have a period of stability that's what every club would want so yeah it does put them in a in a good place if they do win that appeal that the, the other side of that is you know, we don't know what Prem clubs are thinking. And if, just taking my situation, if I'm sat around one of those tables, depending on what funding split is agreed, next year, they've got 12 home games because there's 13 teams in the league. Therefore, there is still a bye week. There is no Prem Cup. Therefore, th their income is down, without doubt. You know, World Cup year, this and the other. Will they see how many of their internationals, all these challenges? I'd be wanting an extra club. I'd be wanting an extra game because if you're at Northampton Saints, Leicester Tigers, Exeter Chiefs, um, you know, you've got 15, 20,000 for an additional game, no matter who you're probably playing. Let's face it. They support their home club. So, you know, and why wouldn't they love to see a club like, you know, Doncaster Knights used to model themselves on Exeter Chiefs. It was one of the things we used to compare ourselves to at the time. So actually, it'd be quite interesting to know what their feelings are on it. You know, and we don't want to go down the, the hybrid league idea for the champ and the strategic review too much. So we'll stay away from that. But the, you know, the truth has to be that first team games are where are what still pays the bills. I mean, barring probably Wasps that is, you know, massively an event venue above maybe their rugby model in terms of how the percentages of what runs their business. Exeter Chiefs, Saints, Tigers are still rugby clubs and they need bums on seats. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be writing off that appeal just yet. I think you sort of, when you said truth, it just sort of went, ah, and clarity. It's like, that's that's what we need a bit of, isn't it? So everyone's very clear on what the championship clubs 
received from the RFU yet. No one's clear on what the Prem clubs do, are they? Like that is not anywhere in the public domain. You know, we know there's a five million pound uh, playing budget. That's about all we know, isn't it? So I think trying to think of like how to how how it could grow or how we could see a pathway for future clubs to go into the Prem. An idea of of funding once you get up there would be allow for business models to be put in place and if it was to happen and get promoted you can then know how your squad and how your club's going to look from there and if you need to go down the p-show route whatever but it's just a very very murky world the prem from from my point of view and yeah it's great i love watching it etc etc but I'd, I'd like to know what the actual funding is at that level in comp- we know what it is in the championship because everyone talks about it so much yeah well, I mean, I somehow, think... somehow managed to assess a value that P shares of a 30 million quid. So, I mean, like where that figure has been established from. So uh, the only thing I would I would kind of jump in and, and obviously we work heavily with the guys at Saints. And all I would say is that the, the model is a lot more complex. And actually, there's not it's not cloak and dagger as murky as you think. And you know, from Saints perspective, I look at a fantastic business model um, every year that, you know, since I've been in Bedford, they've had different people managing. But they've done an incredible job and I struggle to, you know, to, to fight against what they've created and what they've done. Um, it's, we're quite simplistic in the champ. Um, and therefore, uh, and because there's not much money, it's, it's quite easy to divulge it. Um, I think across the globe, I think, you know, you, you look at a lot of rugby models that just aren't open and transparent anyway. Mm. I would defend that the PRL have created a, and, and look, you're right about 30 million, but it's very difficult. They have invested in that product and we allowed them to close that shop when it, when it started. I would love someone to, you know, look, Exeter Chiefs did it without being in the, with it, without being in the group. So could Donny Aurelian be the next? Quite possibly. That was the Championship Clubs podcast. Be sure to come back in a fortnight's time and follow us on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter. 